All right. Happy New Year. Hello, Crosswalk family. It is so good to see you. It is so good to be together at the start of 2022. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had safe and good holidays, a good holiday season. I'm so glad I had the time to blow dry my hair real quick after that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, so we're, we're in a, what's called a campus week. This is campus day, which means I get to preach on whatever I want today. So bear with me. It's, it could be a bumpy ride. I hope not. Uh, uh, we're just in between two sermon series. So we finished our Christmas series. We're launching our witness series next week. So I wanted to have some time with you today talking about a new year, new beginnings, all the, you know, cliche, traditional things, but really the word for today. Today is going to be transformation. So before we launch in, we start looking at what's ahead of us in the new year. I thought it'd be good for us to look back and talk about what happened last year. So I wanted to ask you, how was your year? How did 2021 go for you? I, I was thinking, I was like, maybe people had great years. I don't know how many had a great year. Maybe you had a good year. You survived. That's great and good in and of itself. But were you able to do the things that you were wanting to do that you set out to do? Did you accomplish the goals that you set for yourself? Are you still working on some things like me? I know I am. How was your year? For us as a church community, we had an interesting but also good year. And so I thought we'd take a little walk back, take a look at the highlight reel from 2021. If you recall, back in January, this is how we were having worship, outdoor drive-in devotionals. We were serving coffee out there every Thursday morning. There were some real faithful people that would come every Thursday. It was a sweet time. How many of you would come out on Thursday mornings? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so, so good. Uh, we were at the, still throughout most of the year, the beginning especially, recording every piece, every element for our services. We were doing all things online. We were having, uh, yeah, these amazing virtual small groups based on every sermon series. We, we studied a lot. We covered a lot. In, in April, we met for Easter. We had our first outdoor service here out back. It was a lot of setup, if you recall. Um, we met in May for the first time in over a year indoor. That was just this last May. Sip, sip, mask on. Does that look familiar? We're still there. We're still doing that here now today. So that's what was happening. In the summertime, we had VBS. It was so good. It was going to be all virtual, and then we pivoted. Pastor Karen and her team did an amazing job of having a hybrid VBS, so we brought kids back in. They were so touched. A couple boys there of mine, they're so, super excited to be part of that. In August, it looks like Isai and I went on a vacation together, but it was really a mission trip to Costa Rica. <laughs> yes, Pura Vida. <laughs> so I really, I wanted to just highlight this picture on the bottom right and show uh, this sleeping beauty right there. That was the moment that our, our bromance really solidified. You know, he's just nestled in. And so we had a beautiful, successful mission trip to Costa Rica. And then in November, we had our CW18 crosswalk anniversary celebration. The block party was phenomenal. It was so good. And as Pastor Tom mentioned, as you well, are well aware, Pastor Tim has been on sabbatical and been growing this phenomenal sabbatical beard. So he's coming back next week. Tim, if you're watching, we can't wait, brother. We're so excited to have you back. So that's what's been happening throughout 2021. And I actually am a real big fan of new beginnings. I like change. I like all that. I'm not super big on New Year's resolutions anymore. It was kind of a thing of the past for me. But I'm big on change and growth and self-development. So as I had time to really think about what to share here on January 1 of 2022, 
this word transformation was what came to mind. I was like, that's what I got to talk about. That's what I want to talk about today. What does it look like? What will it mean for each one of us, for our church even, to be transformed by the grace of God this year and into his likeness this year? There's one text that stuck in my mind as I was thinking and planning for this. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I absolutely love this verse. Don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Such an important work to be done in our lives. The um, Augustinian scholar, James Smith, he talked about our human condition. He said, to be human is to be on the move, pursuing something, being after something. We're like existential sharks, he says. We have to move to live. That is so true of our human experience, right? We're constantly on the go. And I see this so much in our boys, our little guy, Maverick, he's four. He is a ball of energy. He is constantly on the go. Whenever we're walking, we'll be holding hands and he'll just take off. This past week, we were shopping together and three times I had to call him back because he was so far ahead of me, he missed the turn where we were going. I'm like, Maverick, we're going this way. <laughs> Come back, man. We're going over here. So it's just... It's human nature that we're on the move, that we're pursuing something, we're getting after something. But what that something is, is extremely important. Is that something, a custom, a culture, a way of this world? Or is that something that we're pursuing, something that we're after, something greater? Is it greater than, is it a more noble, more pure cause or a higher calling? If you're, if you're like me, you maybe live with this feeling of like wanting to, to be better, to do better, to strive for, you know, our, our best selves. Um, maybe some of you have already reached that. You've attained that. You're like, I can go to sleep now. I don't need to hear this. No. But many of us, I'm sure, are always looking for ways to improve, right? So you're maybe working on things. And sometimes it feels like you're on this hamster wheel because you just keep run, running this race. And these things that you struggle with or you're trying to overcome, they just come back around year after year or, or month after month or week after week even. So you're spinning and you're going and you're never really reaching that point where you make the deep and the meaningful the significant change in life that is needed. So we wanted to look at what are the things that are holding us back? What's keeping us from a success in those ways? I read a description this week about a man. He said he's been a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a Christian of, of, of you know, experience and wisdom, for, for 22 years, he said he felt like a one-year-old Christian 22 times over. He felt like he had not been able to get beyond the things that he struggled with and that were constantly holding him back. And the trouble is, I feel like we so often live at the surface level. We maybe are just fine, content to, to just be in that surface level water. We're not willing to go to the deeper levels, to go beyond the surface and make those changes that are necessary and needed for, for spiritual and emotional wholeness. For too long, we may be content to just be swimming at the surface, living in this water that's an inch deep and a mile wide versus being willing to go deep and do the hard work of the depths. That's, that's the inch wide, mile deep water. So we may be 
at the surface, not willing or able to make the change. And sometimes, though, when we're at the surface, we feel like we make a little progress, and that can give us a, a boost to carry on. But it's not, it's not significant. It's not meaningful change that comes from those small achievements, accomplishments, right? We need to do the deep inner work, the interior work of our, our past, of our lives that may be fractured or may be hurting, may be broken. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, author and pastor Peter Scazzaro, he says, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. So he's making this claim that your emotional health, your emotional well-being is intricately linked to your spiritual health and your spiritual maturity. He says, it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That's kind of a tough pill to swallow, I would say, right? He's saying you cannot be mature spiritually if you are immature emotionally. So if you're struggling to discover what that depth of, of spiritual life and spiritual health looks like, perhaps the work needs to be done in your emotional life. You need to gain emotional maturity and emotional health so that you can be on par with both equally. The trouble is, I think, though, we, we, because we're at that surface level, we don't make the change, like do the deep work like I was saying. But in his book, Scazzaro, he highlights these 10, 10 things that show what emotionally unhealthy spirituality looks like. And we don't have time to go through all 10, so I'm doing my top three of his top 10. We're going to hit these real quick. The first one, I say, is denying the impact of the past on the present. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. And the third sign of emotionally unhealthy spirituality is doing for God instead of being with God. So we're going to talk about each of these a little bit more in depth and see if we can gain some insight and some wisdom here. The first one, again, is denying the impact of the past on the present. When we do this, when we deny the impact of our past on our present, we are living a lie. Because we have to recognize that what has happened in our past has implications in the way we live out our lives today. If one is thinking that they um, are who they are today, not directly as a result of who they were, or where they've come from, who they've come from, what they've experienced and what they've been through, then they're living a lie. If there's brokenness in your past, there needs to be work done to repair that brokenness. There needs to be work done to fix that because the impact of your past, the trauma, the brokenness will affect you in the here and now. Now, of course, I don't want to diminish the power of God and the way that we are called to re rebirth new life, right? When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3, he talks about how we need to be born again. When, John, when the Apostle Paul writes his second letter to the Corinthians, he talks about how when we're in Christ, we are a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. So there's this beautiful, amazing way that we're given new life, new identity in Christ. I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. But I do think about if you have brokenness in your past, it's sort of like if you are um, stinky in need of a shower, you could put on new clothes but it's not going to change the fact that you're unclean, right? <laughs> Maybe kind of a hard-hitting hard line there. But I'm serious. We've got to think about the way that our past needs to be fixed and healed so that we can be clean, we can be whole for the present. In his book, 
Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. The second point is dividing the secular and the sacred of our lives into these two compartments, right? So as humans, we have this natural ability, this uncanny ability to compartmentalize, right? We can easily live a double life. We may show a part of ourselves only to certain people and keep another part of ourselves hidden. Like this is human nature, right? I could be here in church one moment, hands lifted high in praise, putting, you know, putting on the, not actually putting on a show, but being in the moment and on my way home, I may be cursing out the person who cut me off. That does not happen. I'm just using that as an example, all right? So I'm just saying we can compartmentalize, right, the secular and the sacred. Another example of this may be that, you know, you, um, you wake up and you spend some beautiful moments in prayer and devotion with God in the morning, and then you just leave God in your closet throughout the day. You don't carry the presence of God with you. You don't recognize the power of God in your life throughout your day. So this is a sign of emotionally unhealthy spirituality when we divide our lives into the secular and the sacred. Now, there was research that was done by this organization, Gallup. Maybe you've heard of them. Gallup did this research in connection with some sociologists, and they found some shocking insights. It said, evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. Now, moment of truth. How many of you, when you saw this quote, you said, oh, pff, those are the evangelicals. It's not us. <laughs> They're not Adventists, right? Shame on you. We've got a bunch of Adventists in here. <laughs> I could be guilty of that too. So let's, uh, let's just ask for forgiveness and we'll move on, right? So this researcher, he, he talks about this research in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. Ron Sider, he says, whether the issue is marriage and sexuality or money and care for the poor, evangelicals are today living scandalously unbiblical lives. They found that church members divorced their spouses on rates that were as same as their secular neighbors. They abused their spouses on the same rate as their secular neighbors. They, their giving patterns, they show that they were as materialistic as their secular neighbors. The data, it says, suggests that in many crucial areas, evangelicals are not living any differently from their unbelieving neighbors. This, my friends, is incongruence, right? This is something that you have to be aware of and recognize in our lives too often. We divide, we compartmentalize the secular and the sacred. And we need to stop that. We need to seek wholeness and congruence in every area in our entire lives because that is a sign of emotionally healthy spirituality. The final one, the third point here is doing for God instead of being with God. And this is so critical. We need to spend time with God. That brings about this wholeness, this congruence in our lives, right? Don't get it confused. Getting things done and being productive, those are patterns of the Western world. Those are not necessarily patterns of the spiritual world, right? 
when those things creep into our spiritual lives, we have this tendency to lose our sense of identity, the value that God has placed on our lives because it makes it about performance, what we're able to do rather than who God is and what he has done for us. And it's not good because we end up doing exactly what this says, working for God, doing for God, trying to win and earn the approval rather than just being present with God. Now, I'm sure many of us are familiar with this story. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. They happen to come into the house of two sisters, Martha and Mary, right? The word says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all of the work? Tell her to come out here and help me. <laughs> but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. It will not be taken away from her. Mary, Mar Mary was sitting, she was content to be. Martha was busy, caught up in the doing. Now, I, I recognize and I know, I know that something had to be done, right? You don't just come to a house and have a dinner party and nobody's serving the food, prepping the meal, getting the table set, right? I recognize that somebody had to do something in order for this meal to happen. So we could spend a whole sermon talking about all that. We're not focusing on that in this sermon. We're focusing on how we need to prioritize our time with Jesus, time to just be present, be with our Savior. That's what that's what Mary had discovered. So we've looked at a few of these characteristics of what unhealthy spiritual, spirituality and emotional lives look like. Those are the things that we need to avoid. If you have a few of those things maybe lingering, let's work in 2022 to get beyond those, get past those things, right? But what do we do to have emotionally healthy spirituality? What are some of the things that we can do to grow in this area? Remember, these two things, our emotional health and our spiritual health, are intricately linked together. You can't be mature in one without the other. So in order for us to transform our lives, to do this deep work, we've got to look at some of the characteristics of emotional health and spiritual health. So I've got a list of seven things emotionally and a list of seven things spiritually that we're going to go through pretty quickly. Um, and we're going to look at how we make transformation in those ways. So here are seven signs of emotional health. I hope you see a lot of these present in your own life. The first one is an emotionally healthy individual has the ability to name, to recognize, and to manage their own feelings. Now, this may be something you're like, of course, absolutely. That's uh, just natural. Some people, this is not natural for them. This is really difficult. It's hard to know and explain what you may be feeling. It's, I've met many people that say, I don't, I don't know how to put words to what I'm feeling. I don't know how to describe this. I don't know how, what this feeling is. So there's all these things you can do online. You can get a little paper with all these little faces, a smiley face, a sad face, and it'll tell you, here's a range of emotions. Get one of those. Look at that. Figure out like some of the things that you may be feeling, and that can help you do some of this work of identifying, recognizing, and then managing your feelings. The second one ties in with this one, but identifying with and having active compassion for others. This is the work of doing, right? This is getting involved, having compassion for those that are in need. Being able to identify that is a huge sign of emotional health. Third, initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. 
This is so important, but I'm amazed that sometimes I meet people that don't have close friends. They maybe have a hard time making friends. This is not uncommon in adulthood. You know, like our boys, they make friends, they see a kid. Oh, there's my friend. I'm like, oh, good. It's not that easy as we grow. It's, it takes some work, right? So if you have a hard time, perhaps maybe you're a little bit further on the introversion scale than the extroversion, hard times getting out, meeting people, I would encourage you, think about somebody in your life who you've had a meaningful interaction with in the past, and this week or this month, invite them out for coffee. Begin to have and initiate the relationship and do the work so that you can grow in this area towards emotional health. Number four, breaking free from self-destructive patterns. This is that work that we have to do to get beyond, move, move off that hamster wheel, get into a, the deeper waters. Number five, developing the capacity to express your thoughts and your feelings clearly. So this ties in with what we said earlier, but this is a work that needs to be done. You have to work to develop this capacity to think about and clearly articulate the things that you're feeling, the things that you want to say. All that is part of emotional health. Number six, respecting and loving others without having to change them. Now I highlighted that middle word, without, because so often we get into this mode of like, oh, I love you, but you need to change. You need to do better, right? This is loving well means you've got to love them without any reservations, being open, being accepting, loving them without the desire to change them. And the last one, this seventh sign of emotional health is asking for what you need, what you want, or what you prefer clearly, directly, and respectfully. This is so important, so needed in our relationships, maybe in our marriage or our, our partnerships. All of this ties in with healthy communication, healthy relationships. So those are seven signs of emotional health. It is very, very important to highlight these things, to work on these things if you need to in this coming year. Now, these are the seven signs of spiritual health. These are the things that we'll look at in regards to transforming spiritually. If you have good spiritual health, that means you are awake and you're surrendered to the love of God in any and every situation. That means the good and the bad. That means the beautiful and the ugly, the highs and the lows. You have recognition, you have awareness, you surrender to God in each and every circumstance. That's a sign of spiritual health. One of the early church fathers, Benedict, he said this 1,500 years ago, your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. That is the sign of spiritual health and maturity, that God's love in your life is causing you to act and move and live in a different way. Number two, you're positioned to hear and remember God in everything. It's kind of linked with that first one, but this is now about your heart, your mind, your attitude. How are you positioning yourself to be able to hear, to remember God in everything, in all that you do? It's a really important part of our spiritual health. Number three, a spiritually healthy person daily communes with God. This to me is acknowledging the indwelling of the Holy Spirit recognizing that you are with God, God is with you, living in you, working through you, throughout each and every day. I find that sometimes we link our spirituality to the spirituality of somebody else. This can be a problem. Like we're feeding off of what they do, their relationship with God, that's what feeds us. We need to change that. We need to do the work ourselves. We need to grow spiritually with God, our relationship with God. You do that by communing with him daily. 
Number four, a spiritually healthy person practices silence, solitude, and a life of unceasing prayer. Now, silence and solitude are interesting ones. These are maybe hard for some of us, but to practice silence, it means to quiet the inner and the outer voices in your life, to be attentive to the voice of God. To practice solitude, it means to step away from, to be absent from people and things, and to be present and attentive to the Spirit of God. The theologian Dallas Willard, he said that the silence and solitude, these disciplines, are the two most radical disciplines of the spiritual life. Henry Nouwen, he said, without solitude, it is almost impossible to live a spiritual life. Now, Jesus showed us so many beautiful examples of how he practiced these things. For me, I have had a hard time. I've had to really practice and develop, uh, cultivate a love for silence and solitude. And I tell people this all the time. I, in, in regards to like introversion, extroversion, I'm like a 98 out of 100 on the extroversion scale, right? So I'm pretty high up there. I like to be with people. You feel me? <laughs> I like to be around others. I like to do all these things. So the thought about being alone and quiet not the best move for me, right? But over the last 10 years, I've been working on this. I've been practicing this. And I can safely and easily tell you today, I crave quiet. I crave silence, solitude. I crave that. And that's something I've had to work on. It was not easy. Early on, I was like, what am I doing? I don't want to go out and be alone and quiet. So some of these spiritual disciplines are going to come naturally to you, to us all. Others are going to be more challenging. And I think the tendency, tendency is often to neglect those ones that are not natural. But I would encourage you to practice them. Put in the work so that you can experience the richness of each and every spiritual discipline that our Savior has to offer. All right, I'll get off my soapbox now. We'll move on. Number five. Five, it says, a spiritually healthy person understands and recognizes that our earthly life is a transformational journey towards ever-increasing union with God. How beautiful is that? Our daily life, our earthly journey is about transformation. It is about unity with our God. Jesus said that he is the vine, we are the branches. When we remain in him, he remains in us. Jesus prayed that this great prayer to his Father that we would be in him like he is in his Father. There's this unity. That's part of our journey on earth. One theologian said, to, to fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. We should all, always be striving towards this increasing union with our Savior. It's from that connection, that unity, that we have the ability to accomplish this next point. Number six, to love others out of a life of love for God. This is all about loving well. This is the goal in our lives, the two greatest commandments, that we would love God and that we would love one another. The last point, a spiritually healthy person lives in a committed community that loves and seeks Jesus above all else. And I am so glad to say and to know that that's what we are about here at Crosswalk. I hope that's been your experience. I know it's easy to say it, but I hope you felt it. I hope that you are living that as well. Um, Wow, this quote, one of the greatest gifts we can give our world is to be a community of emotionally and spiritually healthy individuals who love well. 
So we're part of a community. We're here together. If you're not part of a small group, there's many opportunities for you to connect. There's virtual groups. There's groups that are meeting in person. There's ways you can grow and deepen your faith in God and your relationships with one another through small groups. And we see Jesus... He modeled this for us as well, right? He had this group of disciples, a group of individuals who were from a whole variety of a mess of, of issues, right? You think about Peter, how he was so bold, how so often he was putting his foot in his mouth because he said something he shouldn't have, right? We think about the sons of thunder, right? These two were, were so aggressive that they had this nickname. They were the sons of thunder, James and John. Philip was skeptical. He was negative. Matthew, the tax collector, was hated by so many people. Philip was skeptical. Thomas was a doubter. Simon was a zealot. There was a couple disciples the Bible literally says nothing about. They were nobodies. And then we all know about Judas and what his issues were. So Jesus was in community with these individuals. And the one thing I would say that they all had in common was a willingness. They had a willingness to follow Jesus, to leave everything behind and to say yes to that invitation to follow the Savior. My friends, if you are at a place in your life here at the start of this year where you're wondering, what do I need to do? How can I move forward? How can I make change? How can I be transformed? It begins with a willingness. So if you have a willingness in your heart today, I say you're in a great spot. You're positioned well to have a transformational year. So as you move into this year, may you remember to not conform to the ways of this world, but to be transformed emotionally and spiritually by the renewing of your mind. May you remember that spiritual and emotional health go hand in hand and that we should strive for wholeness in each and every area. And even though the work may be hard, it may be challenging, it is absolutely worth your every effort. Let's pray together. Gracious God, almighty God, we thank you, Lord, for the start of a new year. We thank you for being a God who is a God who gives us so many chances. And here as we stand at the start of a new year, there's so much potential ahead of us. But for, for some of us, Lord, we feel like we're still stuck. We're still held back from what's, what's ahead of us. So I pray for breakthrough, Lord. I pray for transformation in our lives, in our church, in our community. I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would grant us grace and mercy to be transformed by your love and into your likeness. Help us in our efforts to find wholeness, Lord, emotionally, spiritually. If there are things in our past that we're still hurting from and troubled by, may we seek help. May we move forward into the new year, finding wholeness and striving for that. Bless us, Lord. Be with us as we are on this journey towards unity with you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us one more time?